I'm Mike Breen, Public Awareness Officer for the American Mathematical Society, and I'm talking with Nazareth Bedrosian, who is the Chief Technical Advisor and Mechanical at Halliburton, and we're talking about some of the math that's used in maneuvering spacecraft. So, Naz, you've done a lot of work in this area. Can you tell us the issues involved and the math involved with maneuvering and docking spacecraft? Okay, I will. So, in order to do what we've done, you actually need to first model a spacecraft system. So we need math to uh, model the environment in which the spacecraft is flying through in terms of, say, gravity, aerodynamics, etc. And uh, once you have those models, which usually turn up to be uh, ordinary differential equations, we have to be able to solve essentially a guidance problem of driving the system from one orientation to another one, which then requires optimization. And in order to do optimization, you need to be able to solve linear algebra type problems and some higher level math in terms of approximating basis functions that approximate the state of the vehicle or the control variable and then some uh, potentially quadratic type solvers that are used to solve the problem, which is converted from a continuous time to a discrete problem and turns into a linear algebra problem, essentially, a nonlinear. One of the maneuvers is called an optimal propellant maneuver. So I, I guess you don't want to waste fuel, you might say, or, or time for that matter. But in this maneuver I just mentioned that we mentioned in the moment that you come up with, it results in a great decrease in fuel. That's true. The optimum propellant maneuver is, as the name implies, it optimizes the propellant used uh, in performing a maneuver, and a maneuver here refers to a reorientation or changing the pointing direction of a spacecraft in space. And the optimality is with respect to minimizing the amount of fuel that is used, and we have uh, used this approach 10 times so far since uh, 2012 on the space station, and the fuel savings have been approximately 90% and higher. Wow. And so uh, a lot of us probably would wish that you would do this to our cars as well. Uh, that would be true. <laughs> but in, in a way, what we are doing is uh, sailing the space station, because what we're doing is taking advantage of the environment. So you can think of it as a sailboat, and sailboat uses the sails to use the air currents to uh, move the, the ship, essentially, or the boat. And in space, we're using some similar ideas so that we use the environment to help us. The other advantage of the optimal propellant is also that it minimizes the amount of thrusters that are used, the number of times thrusters are firing on the spacecraft, and that reduces the structural loading that the spacecraft experiences. And you've been working in this area for a while. I know a few years ago, you also had a maneuver called the zero propellant maneuver that a student of yours came up with. And it's kind of an interesting story about the relation between when it was used and the person's thesis. Yes. So I've been working in this area for probably at least 15 years. And over time, uh, I've funded graduate students to perform their thesis. And back in 2005, uh, an opportunity arose on a proposal that I had made called the zero propellant maneuver, which, as the name implies, uses zero propellant to rotate the space station. 
And instead of using thrusters, it uses uh, momentum storage devices. Uh, you can think of them as being uh, gyroscopes that store momentum, and you use those to rotate the spacecraft. And a funded graduate student named Sagar Bhatt at Rice University, Department of Computational Applied Math, with the idea that we had done previous work in this with other students. I had done that. And so since we had an opportunity to actually go fly the space station for a particular orientation, I made that his thesis topic. And so we worked on that for about a year and a half, and we generated and he generated the trajectory that would be commanded to the spacecraft. And it just so happened that we got the first opportunity to fly. It was in October 2006, and he wasn't graduating till January 2007. So the opportunity came, and we went with it, and we seized it. Uh, he generated the trajectory. We sent it to mission control. They uploaded it to the space station, and it flew as it was planned. It used zero propellant. It took some time because it trades time versus propellant use, but it was very successful, and he also had flight data that he could put in his thesis to uh, essentially show that uh, this idea was actually performed and it worked. It wasn't a simulation. It was an actual set of flight data. Most of us, when we think back on defending theses, we think about what a nervous time that would be. But in this case, probably seeing the, the maneuver being used was probably more nerve-wracking itself. Yes. I mean, during the maneuver, of course, when we were executing the maneuver, we ran into actually quite a few issues that we had to deal with when one of the space station CMGs or gyroscopes failed. So Sagar had to redesign the trajectory to use three actuators instead of four. So now you had essentially 75% capacity. So he had to redesign it so that it could fit within that 75%, not the 100% capacity, and also allow for margin. So he had to do all of that, and we also had some periods of blackouts where we lost signal from the space station, so we did not know what was happening. So we didn't know if it actually failed or if it was continuing to, to be successful. So those were actually the most tense moments, and it actually happened during the acceleration and deceleration phase. So you can think of it as like you were stepping on the gas, and then the speedometer is reading the, their speed, and as it goes up, let's say it's getting close to 60 or something like that, suddenly the speedometer went dead. We didn't have any data from the space station. So we really didn't know if it reached cruising speed or if it went over and the maneuver failed. And we also had the same thing at, uh, when we were trying to slow down. So we had to essentially go down from a cruising speed to a, a lower value. And when we didn't have signal during that period, it's like we didn't know that how our braking, as if you were driving a car and you're braking, but you don't know how close you are to the next car, that whether you're going to hit them or not. So those were actually more tense, I think, than defending the thesis. And it was successful. Yes, it, it was absolutely successful. I mean, it, it went beyond expectations. Uh, the expectation was that we would use, if I remember correctly, I think it was 72% capacity, and we actually used 69 point something. We actually used less than what we had predicted. So it was one of the best pieces you could actually do. 
I mean, it, it met all its objectives, and you had real data. I mean, nobody could quarrel with that. That's Nazareth Bedrosian, who's Chief Technical Advisor Mechanical at Halliburton. And coming up in Part 2, he'll start off explaining what he means when he says that he's a consumer of products produced by mathematicians.